0: Welcome to From the Newsroom, the weekly podcast from the Holland Sentinel Newsroom. I'm managing editor Andra Gamble, and today I'm joined by executive editor Sarah Leach. Sarah, we're talking about some true crime today. You know, I always love it. <laughs> um, so this is a, a case that, gosh, I mean, we've covered for, for almost 20 years now, um, and it, it has made its way back into the courtroom a little bit. Um, so this is the case of Karen Boos. She was a, a Zealand woman who was convicted of murdering her daughter back in 2002. Um, and it is a possibility now that she may be getting a, a brand new trial. So that's, uh, that's some exciting news in in that case.
1: Yeah. And this is probably what the third attempt I believe at trying to post conviction of, of trying to overturn it. There's been a lot of interest in this case over the years because of the, Circumstantial evidence in which she was convicted, and her her adamant um, statements about uh, maintaining her innocence during the the trial and afterward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know she's been featured in a, a Netflix series as well. I mean, there have been, um, you know, multiple attempts from you know various innocence projects and that sort of thing, to to get some more attention on on the case. There are you know a lot of supporters of Karen Booth who say that she had nothing to do with with how her daughter died. Um, but now the, the University of Michigan, um, Michigan Innocence Clinic has filed a, a motion in Ottawa County Court to ask for a new um, a new trial and also to, you know, get rid of the, the guilty conviction that she she got from a jury in in the early 2000s.
1: Yeah. So why don't you help us um, remember some of the facts of the case so that we kind of know what is uh, going to be at issue um, coming up?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's, it's been a hot minute um, since we've talked about it. I won't make you won't make you feel bad by telling you how old I was in 2002, but (laughs) I will say it was a singular digit number. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so basically the, the facts of the case here are that, um, Karen Boos and her, her family, she had a, a son and a daughter and a husband. They lived in a home in Zealand and their 14 year old daughter, Robin, um, was sleeping in her bedroom it was the the morning of July thirtieth, two thousand and two, and Karen Boos left the house to go shopping with a friend um, you know outside of holland and while she was gone, um the neighbors called nine one one because the house was on fire, and unfortunately, that fire turned fatal. Robin died of smoke inhalation, kind of you know in her bedroom um and Karen Boos. Originally, you know, when she got the call, the house was on fire. She came right back. Um, originally, it took a, a few days, but then the fire was ruled suspicious. There was a, a gas can that had been missing from the Booth house right in the middle of, of Robin's bedroom. Um, and then, you know, in, in subsequent days, the Zealand Police Department started interviewing Karen Booth and determined that she was a, a suspect for setting the fire. So. She was, yeah, convicted of, of, you know, kind of murder via arson, um, and the, the two, the husband and the son were at work; they weren't at the home, you know, when this happened. But even, you know, at her trial, at her sentencing, and in the years since that she's, you know, she was convicted to, to life in prison. She, uh, Karen Boost, remains absolutely, um, you know. C- Committed to saying that she had nothing to do with the fire, that this was, you know, a, a horrible accident that happened, and that she in no way was responsible for the death of her daughter. Right,
1: and I think that one of the one of the things that's that issue um, that's always been an issue is um, the interview process that happened when she and her husband went down to give a statement after Robin died, and that turned into an interrogation. Which ultimately led to her being charged, and and you want to talk about that um, and why it's controversial?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's controversial for for a couple of reasons. So, of note, is that the the Booth family lived next door to the police chief at the time. Chi- at the time, his name's Bill. Only he's retired at this point, point. Um, and so yeah. I mean, like you said. Karen Busen and her husband went down to the police station to really just, you know, make a statement, right? It had been a couple of days since they, they buried their daughter, they went down to make a statement. And then that statement turned into an eight hour interrogation, um, at which point they gave her a polygraph test. They um, said that they found you know, evidence at the scene that it was her fault, which they didn't have that evidence, like that they had made up those statements, which in in order to elicit a a guilty response, right? right. I mean, that is a legal tactic that that police can use. Um, And then, you know, at some point during that that interrogation, and there were a couple of other interrogations after that as well, the, the police asked her to well, ima- you know, imagine how you would have set the fire if you had lost your mind for five minutes, or if you had done it in a dream, and you know those sorts of you know kind of psychological manipulation sort of statements. Since uh, you know, especially since her last appeal attempt in 2006, there has been a lot more you know kind of psychological understanding of the potential damage and unreliability of, of statements elicited in that way. Um, so I, I asked the the director of the the Michigan Innocence Clinic to talk a little bit about you know why he thinks now is is sort of the time to to revisit this case, and he said one of the things that were were really important to him was to talk about you know these investigation tactics. So I'm gonna play a little bit of um, a conversation that I had with him. His name is Dave Moran, um, and this is him talking about. Um, you know, sort of how how in this case the the confession is is problematic.
2: We have a much much better understanding of, of the unreliability of confessions extracted certain ways. And in Karen Bose's case, the uh, police used a lengthy relay interrogation technique in order to convince her that she must have done it and didn't remember. She never actually gave a real confession.
0: Right. Right. Um, yeah. her are talking about well, maybe in a dream. Right.
2: Right, um, and and that's called an internalized false confession or an induced false confession. And the, the literature has really advanced over the past two decades, and we understand um, the dangers of exactly the techniques that the, that the police use there to get this boost to say those things. And so, um, so what we're saying is that there are all these new developments that require the court to go back and look again now.
0: Sarah, you know, I think that it will be interesting to to hear some of this rehashed. Um, you know, there are a lot of steps between this motion for the request of a new trial um, being filed to getting to a point of, you know, a, a new trial actually happening. And one of the other things that that Dave Moran talked about was the fire science that was used by investigators and you know witnesses for for the prosecution back in the early 2000s has become pretty problematic over the years, especially in the last 10 years, because the lead fire expert that was presented for the prosecution um, was sort of discredited in a in a big way. He was uh, his name is John Dehan and in 2015 there was a recommendation from the the kind of professional organization that the american academy of forensic sciences which is you know like all these fire investigators and whatnot um that he be ex it, you know they they recommended the expulsion of him from their organization for problematic testimony in, a, in another case in another state and um he then resigned from the organization so okay. that you know when the the main expert witness, you know, has then been kind of discredited several years after, um, that can be the impetus for a new trial as well. So um, I'll play a little bit of Dave Moran talking about that as well.
2: There have been a lot of developments in science and the law uh, since Karen Goose's trial, in fact, since her earlier appeals. What our motion demonstrates uh, is
1: that, first of all, the Uh, The prosecution's fire experts who testified at the trial relied on what we now know to
2: be bad science, and so uh, uh, the conclusion that the fire had been set outside Robin's bedroom uh, is really untenable, given what we know now.
1: So where did they think that the fire was set? Do they have an alternate theory of how this happened?
0: Yeah, I mean, part of this goes down to um, uh, an accelerant sniffing dog that was used at the scene. You know how, the, like, a police dog can sniff out cocaine or, or whatever. Right, right. There are, are similar dogs that can sniff out gasoline or, you know, other accelerants. And they um, did find the can,
1: so that they had reason to believe an accelerant was used. Right,
0: absolutely, yeah. And and there was accelerant in Robin's bedroom. Um, however, the this dog who was actually put on the witness stand during the trial, which is not something <laughs> they do now. I mean, I don't know like, you know, how a dog answers cross-examination questions, but um, the dog didn't sniff any accelerants um, on Karen Karambus's clothes, in her car. Um, you know, there wasn't like a smell of gasoline on Karambus and they, they didn't find, um, or at least the, do- the dog, <laughs> didn't find accelerant in the hallway and that the whole idea from the prosecution was you know Karen Booth, like you know put gasoline in the bedroom in the hallway lit the hallway on fire and then you know pieced out um but mm-hmm. if there wasn't accelerant in the hallway that sounds like it could be you know a, a problem for a jury um if that's the the theory being presented
1: so was um was the dog used to uh to sniff um you know, people that lived in the house that the day of the fire, or was that, did that come later? Because wouldn't that be a critical element of the, of the timeline?
0: Yeah. You know, they, they didn't even identify Karen Boos as a, as a suspect until, gosh, I think a week later. Right. Um, so I, I do know that they sniffed, you know, like her shoes, her car, I think the clothes that she was wearing that day, but not, you know, on her, like she wasn't wearing them a week later. Sure, sure. Um, they did find like a little bit of, of an accelerant on like a chair in the master bedroom. Um, but the the Innocence Project attorneys are saying, you know, how is it possible that, you know, she sloshed gasoline all over the house and didn't get any of it on herself or in the hallway? You know, they're, they're saying that that part of it doesn't, doesn't really add up to what the prosecution's case was back in 2002.
1: Well, and remind people of what the motive of the crime was, because I think that that's an important element. I mean, it might not necessarily be a consideration when this finally gets a a, a, a more than likely hearing. Um, and it necess- it's not necessarily a factor when deciding that, because they decide on specific elements of, of sure. the case and whether or not they're problematic enough that where it could possibly overturn the conviction. But what was the motive that prosecutor, prosecutors argued and why they think, what what was the defense counter to that? Because I think that that's important to this,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, there there definitely were you know some allusions to to some family issues, and you know that that Karen and her daughter didn't get along very well. Um, they they did say um, that you know there there were some you know very tense tense exchanges between Karen and her daughter, um, but Karen boosts very much so you know at at the trial she said no i love my daughter i would never hurt her you know sometimes 14 year olds can be difficult (laughs) sure um and you know that that to a certain extent is you know teenager being a teenager right 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 um but yeah the the basic motive you know that was presented was that karen boost just you know couldn't take her daughter anymore kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And didn't the defense um, sort of allude, if not directly say that that Robin might have done this herself?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily know that they have said specifically like, oh, she you know, that this was like a, a intentional thing, but that it was very possible that, you know, Robin had been perhaps huffing the gasoline in her room. Um, and like maybe fell asleep with some candles lit or something like that, that it was an accident, but that, you know, the, the person at fault for, you know, igniting the fire could have been Robin herself. Right.
1: It'll be interesting because I know that, I know that that's a, it's an unpopular thing to argue to a jury to, to kind of, you know, um, insinuate that it might be the victim's responsibility for their ultimate demise, especially when you're talking about a minor. Right. Um. How, in the years since, what do you think that the vibe is in terms of, um, I know that she's got her supporters and I know that she's definitely got her detractors. Um, do you think that this has has legs and do you think that we might see a new trial coming up?
0: That's a great question. <laughs> you know, I do think that from a legal standpoint, there are some some things in here that might have some legs, you know, especially talking about well there have been some significant changes in in the you know indus- industry accepted standards for for fire science and that sort of thing since her last appeal you know when, when you appeal and then you lose the appeal and then you take it you know you appeal the appeal decision you know there's that whole process and to a certain extent she has exhausted those avenues right um, but it is true that if there is significant new information, new evidence or whatever that wasn't available to you um, as a defendant, you know, in in previous appeals, whether that's due to, you know, new information coming out about a witness or, you know, sometimes you'll see this with like developments in DNA sort of thing. Sure. Or cold, no. cold case. Uh, yeah. Wrongful convictions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. So well, there certainly is precedence for you know a, a new appeal or or you know, in this case a new trial um, being allowed. It is kind of a a little bit of a political question also, um, mm-hmm. which adds kind of another layer of I, I don't know strangeness <laughs> to this because um the original prosecutor of the case, Judge John Hulsing, is now a judge. he you know he was the prosecutor back in two thousand to 2003, um, but he now is a circuit court judge for Ottawa County. So, you know, if there is, you know, say an evidentiary hearing or something, you know, moving forward and there there does move into some sort of, you know, process to perhaps do a new trial, um, I think the most likely instance is that the case will have to be moved to either Muskegon or Allegan counties um, just to, to avoid, you know that conflict. The right. the other circuit court judge, um, Karen Miedema, she was she's she was a prosecu- uh an attorney in the prosecutor's office for for a couple of decades. Um, I don't know specifically if she ever like had her hands on on the files of Karen Boose's case, but um, I think most likely at some point the the case would have to be moved to a different county. I mean I mean that's a there's a system in place to to do that when there are conflicts like that. Um, but I, I think it would have to be moved for for fairness.
1: Well, and Halsing has um, has said that he still feels that the case was the that the case that was made against Karen Boos was sound.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. He has said. Um, you know, he said in the in that documentary on Netflix um, that that there was enough evidence, and he said, you know, the the fact that a jury heard all of the information and and found um, Karen Boos guilty kind of says it all. And he still stands by that. He says that there was enough evidence to, to convict Karen Boos.
1: Other than the fire evidence, do you know if the defense um, argued uh, against the, the manner in which some of the police interviews and interrogations were conducted? I mean, did, were they allowed to make that argument in her defense when the tri- original trial happened? Or is that more of a after-the-fact um, development?
0: Oh, okay. So back, back in 2003. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, yes, there were large amounts of the recording played, um, especially, you know, I think one of the things that really swayed the the jury back in the original trial was, um, Karen Boos was talking to her, her husband in the, um, interrogation room, you know, there was like a break and he came in and checked on her or whatever. Um, and she said, oh my gosh, I think I killed our daughter. And, you know, to a jury, that absolutely sounds like a confession, right? Right, right. Um, it's something that, you know, you, you heard um, the Innocence Clinic's director, Dave Moran, he, talking about it being, you know, sort of this, like, induced suggestion, Suggested, all, yeah. Right, yeah. that might not necessarily, you know, have the same impact perhaps now with, with you know, more nuanced psychological looking, you know looking at that um but certainly that was you know discussed and and quite a bit of that you know recording of of the um uh interrogations were, were played in, in the original courtroom right it'll, it'll be
1: interesting to see if this if this actually moves forward because you know it just kind of keeps cropping up every couple of years so okay. it's um yeah, I, I don't know what will happen and whether or not she's going to get another opportunity to argue the case. And but I think that if it does end up happening, boy, is that going to be a wild ride? Absolutely. Because, because yeah. a lot of a lot of things will change if a second trial is granted. Like a lot of things will be different the second time around in terms of like how it's argued, what information is yeah. used, et cetera.
0: Well, and especially to this is I've, I've covered. um you know, some court proceedings for, for cases that have happened long ago. You know, I've covered um, like some resentencings for juvenile for lifers and things like that in the past. And something that is so noted, <laughs> those been quite a length of time, you know, between the, the incident and whatever new court proceedings brought everyone back painful for, for everyone involved. You know, you have these wounds that are, you know, partially healed or scabbed over a little bit, you know, you certainly never fully recover from, you know, the loss of a child. But um, to, to kind of dredge all of that back for, for the family, for the community, that's, I mean, that's very emotional. Um, so that will be fascinating. I, I think that, yeah, I'm very curious to see, you know, if a, a different jury you know, from two thousand and three to to twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, you know whenever that would happen um if those years and and the you know, additional experts and things like that would make a difference because um you know the the innocence clinic attorney genuinely thinks so. and and he actually had a message, you know, for the community about why he thinks that you know they they should kind of give Karen Booth another chance if they're they're seated on a jury. so this this All is right. Him.
2: What the community should know is, is is that this was this was a uh, a very very unsound conviction. I mean, the the prosecution's theory all along was ludicrous that she had poured gasoline outside her daughter's bedroom and then gone shopping with a friend as if nothing had happened, and miraculously got no gasoline on her, on her car, no smell of gasoline. Uh, at all, and miraculously left no gasoline whatsoever in the hallway where she supposedly started the fire. All of that is is ludicrous, and, I, and it's hard it's hard to come up with, with another word um, other, other than ludicrous. I, I think I, I think what I would say to the community is, is that if, if you got to, if you got to retry this case, we really really strongly believe you would reach a completely different conclu- conclusion.
0: I mean, that's a, that's a bold statement, I think for, for an attorney. It is. Well, I,
1: you know, I just see, I see a lot of um, I've seen a lot of convictions that are in my mind where I just think, I just don't know if it's necessarily proven beyond a reasonable doubt and they still get convicted. Um, So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if I agree with that, but I mean, I understand why he's passionate and, and why he feels like he, you know, his point of view has a lot of merit. So when, when are we going to see this being um, responded to? Like, w- like, what's the next step now that they filed this?
0: Yeah, so it's going to take a minute, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, as all good court procedures do. Um, so basically, the the original motion fi- filed by the this Innocence Clinic was filed in early May. Um, now the a judge has to basically ask for a response um, to this motion from the, the prosecutor's office they have at least 56 days to respond sometimes a judge will give them you know more time depending on the complication you know complication level of a case or something like that um, and then after that point once a response has been filed generally that will be the point in which some sort of hearing is scheduled to talk about you know these changes in evidence or you know what experts would be brought forth in a new trial that sort of thing to see what what merit something has so it's going to be a minute until we know you know how the prosecution will respond, but um, it will definitely be something we we keep an eye out for as as we move forward. I mean at this point, you know, I, I think it's important to remember that Karen Boos has been in prison longer than her daughter's life. And that's right. quite a length of time uh, to you know continuously reassert that she believes her herself to be innocent. Right. Well and that,
1: you know and if the if the conviction is overturned you know, then obviously they, they want um, to expedite her, her release so that, you know, they can decide whether or not to retry her um, because yeah. that's, that's really, you know, the way that the legal process has to has to benefit, um, you know, the presumption of innocence. And so it basically just kind of wipes the slate clean and, you know, it's, it's not she's innocent or not guilty. It's just whether or not, you know, they want to go through the process again to potentially reach the same conclusion.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a really good point that they could go through an entirely new trial and a jury could come to the exact same conclusion. That's certainly right. A yeah, this, yeah. This won't necessarily
1: just be like, OK, well, you know, you get to go home now. It's it doesn't quite the, the prosecution could decline to to retry the case. I, I don't think that that's likely, but um, but it is possible. But um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of legal maneuvering on both sides in these kinds of um situations.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm ready to navigate through it. <laughs> and I'll be reading. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks so much for, for chatting with me, Sarah, about this case. And uh, we'll make sure to to keep tabs on it as we move forward here.
1: Always. I can't I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: thanks for joining us. Have everybody. a good time with these. It's always very oh, always. interesting yeah. to, to learn about. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us everybody. And this has been another episode of From the Newsroom from the Holland Sentinel.